0: Hello. Welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hey there, Cove Church. Uh, So great to be with you as we finish out our series uh, through Lent that we've been calling A Desert Calling. We've all been walking these wilderness roads together. It certainly has been an encouragement to me, and I know for many of you it's been the same. So glad to finish out the series today. Um, You know, when I was in college, and certainly prior to that. Among the things that I disliked most in life was malls. Um, there was something about going to a mall, something about the ultraviolet lights. Uh, it's like it, it just drained the life out of me. It, it was it was just like they, they were just pulling something from me anytime I was there. And the worst place in a mall for me, was a clothing store in a mall. That was like double bad. That was like kryptonite for me. I just felt like I was dying, just wasting away in those places. And yet when I got to college, there was this particular store called Lamont's uh, that was a clothing store at Valley River Center. Some of you may remember it. And uh, whenever I had to go to the mall or was going to the mall, I would always find a way to park in front of Lamont's. There's lots of different ways to enter the mall, but I always wanted to go through Lamont's. And and I would go through Lamont's because, you know, I'd kind of wind my way through the aisles, I'd look through the clothes, I'd check the specials, I'd look for clearance things. But the real reason I was there had nothing to do with the clothes. The real reason I was there is because there was this strong, intelligent, beautiful young woman who worked there. Her name was Paula. And I would find a way to go to Lamont so that I could possibly have an interaction with her, build some relationship with her, maybe, maybe start to build a future together, which ultimately did end up happening. I ended up marrying that woman. It took us a while to get there, but it all started really in that season of going through Lamont for me. And, and the real reason that I would go through Lamont was not because I was shopping. It was because I was on a scouting mission. I mention that because this weekend is the weekend of Palm Sunday, traditionally at the church. A a great and amazing story where Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. It's really cool. Everybody's celebrating, shouting Hosanna. But I would want to point out today that Jesus didn't do that just to hold a rally. There was a purpose to this parade. And the point I would draw out today is that Jesus himself on that day was on a scouting mission. That was why he was there. Let me prove it to you. Mark chapter 11, verse 11. This is after his big entrance on the donkey. People waving palm branches and celebrating and shouting Hosanna. This is after that. And here's what happens. It says, and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus comes in, looks around, and goes to stay with his friends. So the real mission here actually starts the next day, and I would offer that if we look at what happens in the days that follow, this will not be just a triumphal entry we'll talk about, but it's actually an invitation to a triumphant life. That's what I want us to look at today, and the first point I would draw out is this. Jesus calls us to a life of impact. Jesus calls us to a life of impact. Mark chapter 11, starting verse 12 to 19. It's a big section, but I know we can handle it. We've been through Lent together. We're sacrificing stuff so we can read a big passage of Scripture together. So let's do it right where you are. Big voices go. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, "'May no one ever eat fruit from you again.' And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, "'Is it not written, my house?' will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So good job reading that if you did it where you are. First off, The disciples in this passage, they they actually hear Jesus and this interaction with this fig tree. He curses this fig tree. Now, we'll get to more on that later, but I'm sure they were kind of going, wow, you should write that down. Jesus really hates fig trees. I mean, who knew? And, you know, Peter, of course, was probably eating a fig. Newton right there. They're like, put that down. What are you doing? Don't you know he hates the fig trees? And so a little more, we'll get to that in a little bit. But the big event of this section, obviously, is Jesus cleansing the temple. Something many of us have heard of, even inside and outside of the church. We, we know this story, at least bits of it. Let me orient you just a little bit here. Uh, what was happening, the largest area of the, the temple complex was this outer court. It was known as the court of the Gentiles. This was where the Gentiles, those who weren't of Jewish origins, they were allowed to be in this space. But here also was where the business stuff happened. And so what Jesus saw here in the outer court was thousands of people at hundreds of tables buying animals and exchanging currency, and it's just mayhem it sounds more like the stock market than a worship service. It, it looks more like Wall Street, but not the Wailing Wall. So Jesus, what does he do? He tears it up. He just overturns the tables. He runs out the money changers. And it's likely the disciples were like, wow, wow. That's a little intense, don't you think, Jesus? I mean, couldn't you just write a little note of concern to the management, maybe just a a scathing Yelp review? That's a lot to do to turn all that stuff upside down. Why was this such a big deal to Jesus? Well, Jesus answers that question by quoting Isaiah 56. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, all people. It's a big deal because this was the place that the Gentiles, those far from God, they were supposed to find God here, and they couldn't. Instead, they they found a bunch of God's stuff, but no God. They they saw a great deal of sort of God-oriented paraphernalia, but none of God's presence. And so Jesus stands and flips the tables of the money changers. It's again, this picture of how how this worship of money and stuff and comfort can be conflated with the worship of God, we let it happen. So he turns it all over. And after doing so, Jesus really turns in one sense and stands in front of us. He asks us the same question of, of this temple. He says, I know what what the temple I just turned the tables over looks like, but what about your temple? This this life I have, this temple of the Holy Spirit. If, If the temple of God is supposed to be a place of prayer and relationship, what will Jesus see if he looks inside the temple of my heart? Will he once again see just what he saw there? Selfishness? Greed, an outward appearance, but really nothing that lasts. The question for all of us constantly as disciples is, will Jesus see fruit? Sure, we can look good on the outside. We know how to do that. We can be faithful in our religious expressions. We can be passionate about religious freedoms. But what is the fruit of my life? And does that fruit actually nourish others or does it leave them wanting? I remember going shopping once at Fred Meyer. I, my assignment at the time was to go get bananas, right? And so okay, I race in there, I'll grab the bananas, buy the bananas, take them home, and guess what? When we got them home and we opened them up, they weren't bananas. They were plantains. It was different. They looked a lot like bananas, but inside it was very, very different. It was the wrong fruit. And that's the problem. Jesus, when he looks at us as his followers, is always looking for right fruit. He's really not that terribly interested in how good we look on the outside or how together we can appear to one another because he knows that we're not that together. He's really not that interested that we check all the right boxes. Okay, I got my right theology. Check. I got the right politics. Check. I've got the right look. Okay, I've got a short sleeve shirt and a beard. Yes, check. Perfect. No, that's not what he's looking for. We tell ourselves that Jesus is looking for that sort of thing, but he tells us he's looking for something entirely different, that he's looking for fruit that lasts from my life. And that kind of life is a life that makes an impact. There in the temple, what Jesus saw was barriers to God, not bridges. And so he did some dramatic redecorating. And guess what? He wants to do the same with us. Because God will do everything in his power to make a way for his kids to come home. What was going on in the temple was not only so far from God's heart, but it was actually keeping the lost from finding God. So this is a very clear picture of who God is. This is ultimately what it is to behold God, to see him, that he wants to see his kids come home. Jesus' work is to wipe out anything that would separate us from God. You know, it was several years ago, I got word that my friend Neil Robbins had died. Uh, he's, uh, he was a leader of Central Oregon Campus Life, where I grew up. And Neil was in every way a goofball. He, he spent his life trying to coerce and bribe and strong-arm teen, just heathen teenagers like me into hearing the gospel. That was his whole life's work. And I remember him saying to me, Aaron, you should should go on this trip. I'm like, Neil, I'm good. I don't want to go on your trip. He says, no, you'll like it. Yeah, I'm fine, Neil. You know, you're always pressuring me with this stuff. He's like, you can go skiing. I was like, well, okay, I'm listening. It's in Montana. Okay, that, that could be good. And he said, there will be girls there. I was like, I'm in. All right, I'm there. And so then it was the scheduling and the fundraising and all the planning that goes into taking a trip like that when you're a teenager. And brick by brick, obstacle by obstacle, Neil eventually got me on a train and then a van and then into a a room in northern Montana with a bunch of other teenagers where I heard the gospel and I accepted this invitation of relationship that Jesus offered to me. And in that moment, everything in my life changed. It turned from black and white to color. And the person who prayed with me at that moment was Neil Robbins. That was the kind of work that Neil did. Money was always tight in his work. Teenagers were always flaky. Staff was always challenging. Yet he never allowed those obstacles to keep him from believing that God could reach someone just like me and hundreds of others like me. In fact, it was later, a year or two later, that we were in a serious accident on a campus life trip, big van, all of us together, Uh, Neil was driving, and we were in a head-on collision. And so many of us were injured, and I can remember sitting on the side of the road, and Neil had had the worst injuries. The person who hit us actually perished in the accident. I remember sitting on the side of the road, and um, Neil's knees and legs are all but destroyed because of the compression of the van, and he's got all this blood running down his head, and and so I'm I'm there, and his, his head is in my lap, and he's coming in and out of consciousness, and we're waiting there for the ambulance to arrive. And all he could say in his delirium was are the kids okay? Are the kids okay? That was all that mattered to him. And that moment made a lasting impact on me. I'm not sure if I can recall any other moment in my life where a person reminded me more of Jesus than Neil did right then. Because that's what Jesus did for all of us. Jesus is always asking the same question. Are my kids okay? And Jesus is always looking to take away what stands between his children and the life that he longs to offer them. And we who follow Christ then have the same mission that we are to take away the obstacles between people and God because Jesus calls us to a life of impact. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Jesus calls us to a life of introspection. Let's continue the passage in Mark 11, verse 20. Let's read it together. Big voices go. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, Look! The fig tree you cursed is withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So Jesus comes back the next morning, and we return to that same fig tree. I mentioned we'd bring it up again. And as you recall, the day before, Jesus had seen the fig tree in leaf, but he cursed it. And now, a day later, it's dead. And at first glance, it kind of looks bad for Jesus when you read that, right? It's like a little bit unfair, he sees a fig tree, it's in leaf, but it's not the season for figs. And so what does he do? He goes and looks for fruit anyway, and it's not there, and so he curses the fig tree. That seems a little bit mean, right? I mean, that, telling this fig tree that it's going to be barren, it seems like fig tree cruelty. You know, oh, people are probably having a tough time. Wow, that poor fig tree, how could you do that? And maybe they're picketing, figs aren't twigs, that kind of stuff. They could be doing all those kinds of things. Give a hooten, pass the newton. Uh, all, they, could, they could have an issue with this. It seems unfair. Why curse this fig tree for having no fruit when it's not the season for fruit? It would be like going to McDonald's and if you show up in August and you ask for a shamrock shake, you can't get a shamrock shake in August. That is a March thing. That's a St. Patrick's thing. We all know that it's a seasonal item. And so if you say it's August, sorry, that's a seasonal item. You can't get that till March. But if I respond with curse you, McDonald's, you know, may you never again make a McDouble with cheese. May your fryers run dry. May your McNuggets freezer burn. That would be a little harsh. It's a little overkill. At first glance, that's what this looks like. But as always, Jesus is trying to tell us something, so let me explain. There's two kinds of fruit that fig trees bore. The first fruit was that actual fruit we think of when we think of a fig, that that, that fruit that we see. But also, when a fig tree is in leaf, it will produce these little nodules, thousands of them on the tree. And those little nodules were a favorite snack food for travelers. As they traveled, they'd eat those, a great source of sustenance for them. And so when in leaf, this fig tree should have had those, but this one didn't. Which means if you came across a fig tree in leaf and those nodules were absent, you know that something was wrong on the inside, that the tree was sick or diseased, although the outside looked healthy, the inside was not. Now, why would Jesus show us that illustration? Look where he's headed. He's headed to Jerusalem, to the temple, to the place that for so many was the headquarters of religious expression. This is where you went to see church done as well as it could be done. The appearance, it was all about God. It looks so good on the outside. You got your Pharisees, you got your Sadducees, you got your sad Pharisees. You got everybody blending into that, all the leaders. It was so much about image. It was so much about the show, but inside, Their hearts were far from God. There was a sickness there. And Jesus was about to walk into this hive of church activity, yet amidst all of their activity, it wasn't bearing fruit. And Jesus, then, is calling that out. Why? Because of this. Jesus will stand against any religion that looks good on the outside, but leaves the heart unchanged. So they see right here this this image. They see the result of this cursing. The fig tree has withered. Basically, now it's finally showing outwardly what was going on inside, Now, the disciples are all impressed with this little plant-cursing cool trick of Jesus's. It's like a reverse magic bean thing, like, wow, how did you do that? But they're still not getting it. So in verse 24, Jesus describes what he's trying to show them. He tells them, this is the fruit I'm looking for. And he says, it's the fruit of belief. Truly believing God, truly trusting God, an inward reliance, not just an outward expression. Not our ability to look good on the outside, not our ability to perform, not our ability to toe the line. No, all of that, it was just like leaves. It was just like that fig tree, outwardly good, inwardly not. And that's the problem. There's no fruit from that. That's our problem because we still wrestle, I think, with what it means to abide in Christ in order to bear the fruit of Christ. That's what we're told in John 15, to remain in Jesus. That's the only way we get to bear fruit and we wrestle with this and this is what must change in us. Jesus wants us to make more than an impression. He wants us to make an impact, evidenced here by what he tells them. He says, if you believe, not only can you move fig trees, you can move mountains. And Jesus ultimately points to one of the greatest mountains that we are asked to move. And here's what that mountain is. It's the mountain of unforgiveness. (laughs) He says, when you're praying, forgive them. So God can forgive you. And I read that and I go, oh, why did you have to say that? Why did you have to throw that into this conversation? I was with you, Jesus, until you had to lay that one out here. Why is that part of this story? For this reason. The presence of unforgiveness will always hinder the production of spiritual fruit. It'll always hinder it. I'm sorry, folks, but the older I get, the more I realize that that it is the ability to forgive that is perhaps the single most important skill set that a Christ follower must develop. And here's the great news. In life, you will have tons of opportunities to practice. (laughs) Every week in my life, I have multiple opportunities to develop the skill set of forgiveness. And so do you. This tells us that where forgiveness is absent, so is fruit, or at least the fruit that we see is stunted. And our lives were made to bear fruit. And it's that unforgiveness, you know this, it's rotting us from the inside out which is why we're called to this life of introspection, that we would ask the hard questions, what am I carrying with me? And so often the first mountain that must be moved in my life is the mountain of unforgiveness in my heart. And it's there from that place of forgiveness that we can believe then for other mountains to move. This is how Christ followers are supposed to live. And in order to do so, we have to take a hard look at what's going on inside. To to ask ourselves, when push comes to shove, do I just believe my circumstance? Or do I believe my opinion? Or do I believe my pain? Or do I believe God? And so we constantly get to check our hearts because as you know, our hearts are constantly drifting off course. So Jesus calls us to this life of introspection that's the second thing here's the last thing Jesus calls us to a life of insight a life of insight Mark 11 verse 27 to 33 let's read it finish strong go they arrived again in Jerusalem and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts the chief priests the teachers of the law and the elders came to him by what authority are you doing these things they asked and who gave you authority to do this Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. He says, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, well, if we say from heaven, he will ask then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus We don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. So after all of these events, you can imagine that the religious folks had some questions. What gives you the right to do this, Jesus? Whose authority are you under? Can you show us a badge? Can you show us a license? Can you show us a credential, maybe a permit? And Jesus says, no problem. Happy to do that? Let's do it this way. I'll answer your your question if you will answer mine. It says, hey, John's baptism, his ministry, was it from God or was it from men? And they hear this and they go into this huddle. Okay, and we see how it lays out. Man, if we say from God, the people will say, well, why didn't you listen to him? If we say it was, was from man, then all the people will be mad. They might stone us. It's not good. So the great scholars, after all this huddle, all this dialogue, they come back to Jesus and say, here's our answer. We don't know. And Jesus' reply is, if your answer is no answer, then so is mine. I'm not telling you by what authority I do this. I think we forget that when it comes to God, no answer is still an answer. The Pharisees' answer was, really, we just don't want to believe you, Jesus. And that's the problem. See, it is our willingness to accept God's answer on the little things that allows God to reveal his answer on the big things it's it's a spiritual principle that to be faithful with little allows us then to be faithful with much yet often we see this improperly because we actually view Jesus improperly we don't trust him we don't see him right it's like there's a story uh, there was all these children lined up in the cafeteria of a catholic elementary school they're lined up for lunch and at the head of the table was this large pile of apples. And there a note had been written by one of the nuns. It said, Take only one, God is watching. <laughs> but as you moved along further in the line, at the other end, there was this large pile of chocolate chip cookies. And you can tell a child had written a note in front of that one. And it said, Take all you want, God's busy watching the apples. <laughs> Slightly distorted view of who God is. And whenever we have a distorted view of who God is, it will always distort our response to Him. And so God says, This is why you're stuck. This is where you get to grow. This is where we get to become more. This is where we get to gain insight that we desperately need. So the road to insight begins first with becoming the kind of person that gives honest answers. When God asks us questions, we answer him honestly. But second, to become the kind of person who asks God questions, but doesn't reject God's answers. This is how we change. This is how we become. So Jesus invites us to this life of insight. I'll wrap up with this. There was this young couple. They decided they wanted to buy a business together. He was uh, an engineer by trade. She was in advertising and promotions. And so they figured together we could make a going business. They they bought a small salmon cannery in Alaska. And they soon discovered this problem. When they would open up a can of their fish, the, the fish, the color was gray everything else about it was perfect, but it was, it was a gray fish in color. And so because of that, they noticed that sales began to sag and the bills started to pile up and this, this was a problem. And the investigation revealed that there was just a, a little problem in how they processed the fish that was producing this gray color. And so his wife said, this is a technical issue. You're the engineer. Can you figure out a way to fix this problem? And so he went to work on the problem and he came back and said, I've I found a way to fix the problem. It will take us probably a year to put this in place, and it will take tons of money to rework our, our systems to make this possible. His wife said, we don't, we don't have that kind of time. We don't got a whole year. We, we've got a few months, and we're going to go out of business. So two days later, she had a revelation. She knew there was nothing wrong with the fish that they were producing. The only problem was its looks. They just had to get past that. So brilliantly, she changed the labels on their can. And in bold letters right under their logo, it read, the only salmon guaranteed to not turn pink in the can. That is what it looks like to have the outside match the inside. That's what Jesus wants for us. That's why Jesus took this trip the whole thing with the donkey and the palm branches, this big moment on this journey that leads us to Easter. This was an invitation to an authentic relationship, to a relationship with God that actually bears genuine fruit, calling us to this life of impact and introspection and insight. This can only come from Jesus. So today, as we enter this holy week, Will we respond with trust? Will we respond with a pursuit of Christ for ourselves, for our neighbors? Will we address the obstacles that are keeping us from seeing God's fruit in our lives? And will we believe God to see those obstacles removed? That as we prepare our hearts for Easter that we would prepare for the fruit of belief and by freeing our hearts of the unforgiveness that wants to hold us down because that is what moves us past just a triumphal entry and into a triumphant life. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at covechurchpnw. We'll see you next time.